Okay. Looks like we're getting underway. Yeah. Another, uh, another <laughs> fun one to talk loss. about. So fun. So fun. <laughs> Do a call in show for the 2020 Blue Jays, 2022 Blue Jays, they said. <laughs> it'll be a great team. It'll, it'll, it'll get better. We'll be okay. All right. I think we'll just get going and people can file in or out as they so desire. Sure. Welcome to episode five of Blue Jays Happy Hour 2.0, the live edition. Uh, I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And in some ways, we have a similar story to talk about. We have another close Blue Jays loss. We have more runners in scoring position not cashed in. Uh, In another way, this sort of mini series against the Yankees got chaotic. And uh, it was a little bit different from what you normally see. Between the two of us, Stoughton, I think you're probably the general vibes guy more so <laughs> than I am. So I want to open the open the floor to you about how that series felt. I mean, obviously not great. Um, you know, I've seen the negativity on Twitter a little bit, and it's you know warranted. It's not been a good little run. I mean, it's we're still still in mid May. I don't think anybody needs to get super. Uh, concerned about anything that, you know, just sort of happens, you know, often over the course of a baseball season. But, uh, you know, you'd like to see it turn around and you'd like to stop saying that, which is kind of the thing we've been saying for a week. So I, I can't blame anyone for being frustrated, uh, at least of all the the team itself, which they are, you know, more so than, than usual, most of them than we're used to um, explain uh, displaying their frustration a little bit on the field. Yeah, I mean, it, it was surprise. We've seen Vladdy get into it with umpires a little bit at times this season, usually, usually justifiably. Uh, today he got into it a bit with himself, smashing his bat over his knee. It's interesting, you know, we think of him in particular as such a happy-go-lucky guy, as such, someone who brings that sense of fun to the ballpark and that sense of joy. Not necessarily whether things are going well or whether they're going poorly, but you see those, you know, those shots to him in the dugout, and they don't always have to be winning for him to seem to be having a good time. And right now, he's not having a good time. And part of that is his own performance. Like he, over the last kind of two weeks, he's been, you know, roughly a league average hitter, a little bit worse. Obviously, by his standards, that's very unimpressive. Uh, but I think that it has to do with the whole team overall as well. Like it's a little bit hard to be that team that's all smiles and hugs and dancing and whatnot when there's nothing to dance about or smile about. And that kind of seems to be the case right now. Yeah, it is true. And it, I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate, you know, you get to a three run lead on uh, Tuesday night, <laughs> get a three run lead, get to the night, then get to your closer and then have that happen. Um, not ideal. Um, and obviously, you know, that just that leads into the frustration because the, 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 many times during this little uh, dip in form, there have not been games where you really felt like they deserved to win but didn't. Um, but that one, uh, you know, you got to get all 27 outs, but, uh, but you, you really think you should win a game like that. Yeah, and even, you know, and there, you know, the umpiring stuff that goes into that, obviously mm-hmm. that ejection we can talk about, um, you know, Pretty brutal, uh, you know, <laughs> very clear lack of intent. Josh Johnson stirring the pot later by being like, I don't think it was intentional, but it looks bad on TV. Like, Josh Donaldson knows that it wasn't intentional. It would have been very stupid to call for 
uh, about to be hit at that particular moment. And I just don't think the Blue Jays are malicious like that. Basically, no one is in the major leagues anymore. They've actually done a pretty good job of uh, getting that out of the game. But in this game, sort of on Wednesday, you also had a lot of situations and they had a, a big montage of it on the broadcast of just poor baseball, like mm. Bo Bichette failing to advance a base when you know the ball went to the backstop. And you know that didn't end up turning into anything. It wouldn't have been anything. Um, but still like, you know, it's a, it's a silly mistake. Alejandro Kirk, you know, having that really, and you know, awkward things are going to happen with Alejandro Kirk athletically, yes. physically, like yeah. that's, that's part of the package that we all signed up for, uh, when we decided to be in love with this player. Uh, but still like him being out at second base in that scenario, like there's the, there are these things that are bad baseball, quote unquote, and that's not the biggest deal in the world, uh, when you're scoring runs and when you're winning, uh, but it's understandable that people fixate on them a little bit more when they're not doing well. Because, you know, I don't know if Alejandro Kirk had been safe at second there, if they could have continued to rally, would that have made a difference in the game? You know, who's to say? You know, it's a two-run game. If the next guy hits a home run, then that's a whole different game. I'm not saying that would have happened. But there's, you know, there's very little margin for error when your offense isn't hitting like this. And uh, they're not helping themselves at times. No, you're right. And I mean, there's just so little that has been happening uh, to stand out, um, which is a problem. Too. And, and and you hate seeing, you know, Barrios looked better than his line today. Kikuchi seems to be, you know, getting on the right track. They're starting to label his uh, his slider appropriately on baseball savant, which I which I appreciate personally. Um, you know, there are, there are good seeds sort of all around. You know, Bichette's been warming up and he was, you know, uh, you know, the OPS is still in the mid 600s, which is somewhat where league average is probably right now at this point. But, uh, uh, you know, his bat started to come around basically since uh, Dante was on the radio talking about him hitting underneath the fastball and, and how that was an issue. Uh, it's nice to see Tay Oscar back, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's a real, it's a real funk. And it's hard, I think, sometimes for people to be able to separate like, I it, it didn't feel like this a week and a half ago. Uh, it felt considerably better when they were fifteen and eight. Yeah, and they all. It also seemed like this week they were they were kind of stumbling against Cleveland, and then you had the off dance. Like, okay, here we're going to get a reset, and everyone in the bullpen is going to be fresh, and Teoscar is going to have another day to rest and be okay. And it's just a bit of a mental, you know, clicking over to a new thing and you know you can overstate the value of something like that they're going to get another one of those uh and we may go to overstate the value of that again and i think it is you know they did have such a grind early in the year then theory these off days are super valuable but to see them come out of that and just fall so flat against you know the team they need to get wins against we talked about banking wins in the past obviously they haven't really banked enough because their current record is not very impressive but wins against particular opponents are also something that you bank in April as well. And they haven't banked enough wins against the Yankees. And so they're, they're making their life difficult down the road if they see, still see themselves as AL East division winning threats, which they absolutely should because the talent on this team is still there. Oh, absolutely it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, banking some of those wins would have been a good idea. They haven't played you know, Baltimore yet, which is nice. They, they haven't played the Rays yet, which they're about to after the, uh, the off day on Thursday, which is uh, less good going into Tampa. It's now not traditionally been a spot where the Jays uh, have uh, figured out how to stop bad things from happening. 
So you've got to be a little bit worried about that if you're really concerned about the record. You've got to be worried about, look, the Yankees starting to streak out. Uh, and I think they're six games up on, on the Jays and 11 on Boston or something like that already. Um, they've been really good. Um, I'm not sure I believe in them yet. It's been, you know, 30 games or whatever it's been. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, those wins are banked now for them as well, which is, uh, which is good, but it, it's still, it's still so, so early. It's still so early. It's early. And also, you know, this series coming up against the Rays, you're going to have, you know, Kevin Gosman looking potentially like that quote unquote stopper type of guy. Uh, I think he could give them a big lift in his start. You've got Manoa as well. Like those are the guys you want to have going. And, it, you know, it's not all about starting pitching because they've had some leads and had the bullpen blow them. Uh, and that's an issue. And you've got to score some runs to win these games. But one of the things that is nice about the Blue Jays is it seems like right now the strength of the team is the starting pitching. And you don't go too far without running into a Gosman or a Manoa. And you're not guaranteed to win those games by any means. But you feel good whenever either of those guys are on the mound. You're the favorite in that game, basically regardless of the opponent. So, yes, the Blue Jays are in this losing streak right now. But because of the guys lurking in those rotation, you don't feel like it's going to tumble out of control. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Barrios is, uh, you know, we can't take his name off that kind of list just yet, though it hasn't been a, a strong start to the season for him. Yeah, and then that was one question we had in the in the chat here about how did Barrios look from Derek, who wasn't able to see the game live. I was pretty encouraged. Uh, obviously, that sounds kind of silly when you think about the result being five uh, runs over five innings, but... That home run, I mean, you know, we can talk about what Yankee Stadium is and how that affects some of these Yankees' outcomes. It really hurt the Blue Jays, some of these short porch home runs. They can also hit them too, you know, that's the flip side of that, and they didn't hit any of them. Um, but he didn't have the same level of kind of consistent hard contact against. He only he struck out four hitters, which was not a huge number, uh, better than zero, uh, obviously, and that breaking ball had a lot more bite, which, you know, it just really didn't look good in Cleveland. I'm not saying that he's on the way, like his next start is going to be ace Barrios. He's still figuring some things out, but his long-term prognosis in my view is fine. The velocity's there. The pitches are moving approximately the way they have before um, because he's not this true sort of dominating guy. And he's more of a manage the damage and, you know, don't walk anybody and get enough strikeouts. Like he's not spectacular the way Gosman can be. There are going to be stretches where guys hit him a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm not worried about, you know, he's young, he's durable. He's got a history of being consistent. Like there's so many things you could say about Barrios to make you not lose faith in him. I don't think you should lose faith in him, but also, you know, if you're talking about a start, his next start or the start after that, you can't feel confident that he's going to come out and give you six innings of two run ball. Like we kind of have to see him, settle down and do it for a little bit before we can be confident that he's rejigged himself and become the Barrios of old. I, yeah, that's absolutely true. We will have to see it. Um, but also, I, I think you're right. I think that the uh, the lack of hard contact was definitely encouraging. Uh, the pitches looked fine. Got blo- uh, you know, blooped a little bit. Um, the, last couple of, the last couple of runs of, of his night were, uh, came with Trevor Richards on the mound, too, which is, uh, you know, they still count on Barrios' line, but... Uh, uh, that was a less than ideal, I think, how that worked out as well. Yeah, it was the you know the three inning, th- sorry, the three run inning is a sort of a bloop bloop bomb situation, and the bomb was hardly a bomb. It was the uh, just 
little fly ball that happened to fall over that shelf. And it, it is it does seem at this particular moment like the Blue Jays can't catch a break. Like that's really the way it seems right now. They they can't get that hit they need. They can't get it to fall in. They can't get that, you know, defensive play. Sometimes it's a little bit lucky that goes into a guy's glove. They've had some issues with that occasionally. They, you know, even leads, which early in the year seemed incredibly safe. Obviously, we should talk a little bit about Jordan Romano and what that looked like on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. But leads felt very safe for this team early on, and they don't feel nearly safe anymore. And I don't think that means that you should give up on the bullpen. This isn't, you know, everything we could say in this episode of the podcast is literally like, it's not as bad as it seems right now, but things are never as bad as they seem at their worst. And I think that's true of the bullpen as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. They're also never as good as they seem at their best. It's also, I think, worth remembering. And, but, and also, I think there are a lot of caveats to this. Like the, the weather in Cleveland was a factor. The, the grip on those balls on Tuesday night in New York was a factor as well. Yeah, I mean, Romano, that one is probably the scariest of everything because he had sure. a truly anomalous outing when it comes to both you know, the result, obviously, Judge able to hit that walk-off home run, but also just the way his stuff looked. Like his fastball was more 95 than 97, and that's really not good enough for him, for a guy who challenges hitters the way he does and doesn't have pinpoint command. And his slider was also, you know, that was sitting kind of 82 and looking loopy, and we're used to seeing a very sharp, hard slider out of him that is very hard to hit. And, you know, they threw quite a few of them to judge, and he, he kind of looked at a lot of them because they're just... Yeah, it, it didn't have the same level of movement. It didn't challenge hitters in the same way. I, I was kind of looking through some of his game logs. Like, has this happened before? Has he had outings that have just random drop-offs in velocity? Because we know Alec Manoa is a guy, for instance, who has that. And it's just mm-hmm. it's part of the package, and we just kind of accept it. And there was sort of one outing in this vein in 2021, but really mm-hmm. one. Uh, so if he if his stuff looks like this again in his next outing, I think that there's some pretty real concern there. Um, but you can always give someone a mulligan for one time out. I think so. Uh, we got a caller. Should we take a caller, Joe, here? Absolutely. Let's do that. Joe, you'll, you'll have to unmute yourself, but thank you so much for calling in. Yeah. Uh, you know, when a losing streak happens, going to the trop immediately kind of seems like not what you want. <laughs> Correct. <Fair>. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I did want to say, like, I've kind of been slightly encouraged with the offense this past week. I feel like Bichette and Kirk have been hitting at least slightly better than they were at the start of the year. And getting Teoscar Hernandez back, I'm kind of at least slightly optimistic that the offense can start get it, getting it together. Yeah, I think I mean, I think you're right there. Bichette has looked a lot better recently. Kirk has shown some ability to drive the ball, which early in earlier in the season, he was just kind of float. It seemed like he was just floating them out to right field a lot. Um, you know, he's got another extra base hit today, which is significant. Bichette with a big game today. Espinal's a guy that is worth adding to that list because early in the year, he was flashing some power. Um, and then he, he faded a little bit and he's come on strong again. And he's, you know, we got to be careful. Some of the expected numbers, because they don't reflect the current ball and the way the ball is actually carrying this year. And there's a lot that goes into that that does not make for good audio. 
but his expected numbers are really good. He's driving the ball so much better. He's not hitting the ball on the ground nearly as much. He's like he's driving a lot of line drive. So he's looking like a guy who would be a pretty reliable offensive contributor for them. Teoscar Hernandez, as he said, makes such a difference in the middle of the lineup. Like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is kind of, uh, you know, he's an above average hitter, but not significantly so. And when he's sitting behind Vladdy, you don't feel great about him driving in, you know, the runners on base unless he's in one middle of one of these huge hot streaks. Whereas Teoscar is a guy who you have that feeling kind of day in and day out. Um, if the guys get on in front of him, he's going to bring them in. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally right. And uh, Joe, you got anything else for us? No, you know, you just have to wait until the end of the year for Guriel to drive in all those runs. <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't want to drive them in at the beginning. I think so. I think that I think that's probably true. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Appreciate yeah. you giving us the call. Um, and yeah, uh, Nick, I think you're uh, the the expected numbers one. I think that's what I was right. He looked better, but I but I have seen the chatter about how they're. They haven't like recalibrated them. They don't update until mid uh, the mid season. What like the offensive environment is like right now, which uh, which is maybe there's I think there's a few guys out there who it looks like you know if they had last year's ball, yeah they would be <laughs> like their expected numbers would look or their their actual would look closer to the expected. Uh, but I think obviously the ball uh, is an issue, and it's something we've talked about before, and maybe every episode lately. Um, but yeah, not just not just the grip, but the just the 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 fact that it you know the environment is it's not playing well it's a dead ball well Rymel Tapia is the interesting guy with that and I, I'm not saying that he has some untapped potential and would have been fantastic for the Blue Jays under different circumstances <clears throat> but it seems like they brought him aboard and tried to get him to not pound the ball into the dirt so much and tried to get him encourage him to drive the ball a little bit more and that's what we're seeing from him but because driving the ball, unless you have that kind of big-time power, is worth less in 2022 than we're used to seeing it be worth. It ends up being a lot of lazy fly balls for him, and he's been sort of even less effective than he was with the Rockies when he was hitting ground balls sort of 69% of the time or whatever it was. So that's kind of unfortunate. It's these guys with the fringy power who might struggle a little bit because they're going to have a lot of balls die on the warning track. Like I don't think it's going to be Vladdy. Maybe some of his opposite field stuff will have a hard time going out, um, but I don't think it's going to be Vladdy or Teoscar um, or Springer or even really Matt Chapman, who's got a lot of raw power. It's going to be the guys who are a little bit fringier that are going to struggle, and uh, we've seen that early in the season. It's been really hard to get balls to go over the wall, and if you're not one of those big sluggers, you know, like Espinal, for instance, is probably, yeah, he's not going to hit a lot of home runs this year. He's going to probably count on a lot of doubles. When last year, maybe with last year's ball, he's hitting 10 dingers with the new level of power he has, or 15. And who knows if that's going to happen in 2022. Yeah, uh, I, that's a, that's an excellent point. Oh, was I just making a bunch of noise there? Did you catch that? There was, a, yeah, some, uh, some shuffling I about. Live show. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're just doing some live radio stuff here. Um, um, yeah, Toppy is interesting because that is kind of like the fix that we were hoping he would uh, they would they would look to bring to him, right? And and yeah, to see a lot of lazy fly balls is not, uh, I'm sure, what anybody wanted. Yeah, I mean it, it's it is interesting because you're a team and you target particular players for their skill set, and then a set of circumstances that's totally outside of your control kind of warps what they're able to produce. And you know, I actually I wrote about this. 
earlier this week about Kevin Gosman and how the balls being, I don't know what the right word for them. I was going to say deflated. That's not right. Anyway, the the balls being less liable to carry are is outstanding for what he does because the one weakness in his game is that he gives up hard contact. He doesn't walk anyone. He strikes out a ton of people. But as a result, to get ahead in counts, he throws a lot of fastballs in the zone and people can hit him hard. Well, when hitting someone hard doesn't do as much damage, then a pitcher can be more effective. In theory, Barrios could benefit from this type of thing as well, although he's just been so far gone in terms of allowing really hard contact, he hasn't been able to. But it, it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if MLB doesn't change the balls, because we've seen them change midstream in 2015. Um, we'll kind of get a better sense over time of which players are more and less hurt by this. Like in theory, a guy like Vladdy, I would assume would be hurt less than a lot of other players because his raw power is so strong that he's not really relying on balls just clearing the wall or just reaching the wall. He's hitting it kind of beyond and maybe some of his moonshots become a little bit less impressive, but overall it shouldn't be that big a deal. You know, he hasn't been at his best early in the season, so it's hard to see whether that's going to bear out or not. But in the next, I don't know, two, three months, we'll have a good idea of, okay, who really got sewered by this this change and who was able to weather it or even benefit from it. It should be interesting to find out. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, you might, you might not have much time to, to correct at that point. No, yeah, it'll be a curiosity thing, not something you... But maybe when you're acquiring players at the trade deadline or something, like this is the type of thing that you can think about or it'll affect you know the guys who are available who's done really well. Um, it, this ball issue will have an effect on that. Yeah, it's... Interesting might be the right wrong word. Like as a fan, I don't think you want to be examining like which players are doing better or worse based on the equipment at hand. Like I don't think that that's really the most exciting. That's not why people watch the game. Uh, it's fair to say, like in hockey, if they gave everyone a totally new stick that was I don't know, <laughs> like a, one of those old school wooden flat sticks, and they're like, "This is the new stick now." And then it's like over the season, let's figure out who's actually good with this stick. Like. That would be interesting from an intellectual standpoint, potentially, but not exciting for the fans. And what we're seeing in 2022 is these changes um, to the offensive environment have made the game less exciting in the interim. And that, you know, that's unfortunate. And when your team is doing well, like when the Blue Jays were doing well early in the season, not a lot of people were complaining about depressed offense around the league who are in Blue Jays circles. And now the Blue Jays are not doing so well. It's like not only is the team I'm watching losing on a night-to-night basis, also the quality of the product overall or the excitement level, which cannot only be measured in runs, to be fair. Um, but the excitement level isn't the same. So it just adds sort of a level of grimness to what's already been a grim situation. Yeah, that's about the size of it. Um, we should, should we go a comment in the chat? We have uh, LCFRST2 who asks, what is the story with Dante Bichette? The team seemed to thrive under him last year. Is there a chance they ask for his help again? Um, it's real. I think it's usually it's up to Dante, right? It's, he kind of can write his own ticket a bit. And in fact, you know, uh, when the lockout happened, because he was employed as a, a it was because he was a Blue Jays employee, he wouldn't have been able to work with with Bo. I don't know what the like, um, you know, what 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 else they. I assume they could have talked about other things. You know, you're not banned from. I mean, your dad, you know, make uh, take a phone call, but uh, uh, but that's sort of why he dropped away. And uh, you, you hear, you see a lot of people, at least on Twitter, uh, bringing that name up because he's definitely an interesting guy and, and, and has 
many thoughts on hitting. I'm, you know, I, I'm not of the like uh, auteur theory of hitting coaching. I think that the the you know, I, I don't know that 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 would that that's the 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 fix it here. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they, you know, made that decision either. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because my first instinct was to be was when they brought Bichette on was to think that's going to be awkward for Guillermo Martinez. We we're used to the premise that there's one voice in the room when it comes to hitting, and you know I've always been a little bit skeptical of the you know the value of a hitting coach. Maybe that's unfair. It just seems easier to tinker from a pitching coach perspective. Like there are more tangible things that you can do in terms of like, let's throw this pitch more in this situation. How are we going to attack guys? Let's watch this film. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist from a hitting standpoint, but also guys have fairly ingrained swings that, you know, they can be changed. But I always felt that the hitting thing was maybe a little bit more vibes and the pitching thing was a little bit more strategy and maybe that's unfair. And so it seemed odd that they have multiple voices in the room but when, yeah, when you think of the pitching side, you know, they've got Matt Bushman and Pete Walker and they've got a whole staff there and maybe it doesn't hurt. You know, they talk about collaboration all the time of like, let's have as many voices in the room, as many people that contribute to a situation, to a decision as possible. Like that's sort of part of the Blue Jays ethos in the Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro era. So uh, it makes sense to, yeah, to have his voice in the room if it's helpful. Clearly anything uh, they can do right now that would, you know, shake things up for lack of a better term is worth exploring because the status quo right now is, uh, is problematic. And I, I don't think they have to do anything. I think ultimately the pendulum is going to swing for these guys and it's going to work out and there's a ton of talent and they're going to hit, but it's also, you know, you know, these, these games matter. This offense isn't there. And yeah, thinking outside the box and seeing whose voice could help, uh, it's certainly not going to hurt. Yeah, I mean, as long as they're all pulling in the same direction, I guess is probably, you know, the biggest thing with that. But, uh, but you know, it seemed to work before. It didn't see, you know, it seems like they they had a good thing going, and it was it literally was just the lockout that that did that. But also, you know, uh, the, the, uh, he's made plenty of money in the game. He doesn't need to be taking shuttle buses to Buffalo to go through customs there and take flights to Cleveland and Tampa and and, and you know all over the place. It might just not be something that he really wants to, to be as hands-on as he has been in the past. Yeah. And the Blue Jays also have an assistant hitting coach now, Hunter Mentz. And I don't know <laughs> if that's a, a role they've always held, held uh, in the organization, but they have one this year. So that also probably factors in that they don't necessarily feel like they need X number of voices. The thing that gets to me sometimes is sort of the Guillermo Martinez of it all, where people are like, Oh, fire Guillermo Martinez, or he's not doing a good enough job. And it's one of those things, manager is a little bit like this, but at least manager has tactical decisions we can all see and evaluate in real time. With hitting coaches, we just don't know. You know, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know how much hitters are buying in or not buying in. We don't know, you know, perhaps, you know, the hitting coach has the best possible strategy and the guy's not executing or the guy's not listening. Or, you know, everything's kind of going to plan and the team's just a little bit unlucky. And I'm not saying that's what's happening to the Blue Jays. It's more than bad luck. It's bad hitting. But, you know, for a, a sample of 30 games, 30-plus 30 games, it's just so hard to say how, like, we have no idea how good a job a hitting coach is doing based on the performance of a team over 30 games. I just don't. I think over 162 games, we barely have an idea. Like, I'd have to see kind of multiple years of a guy's track record of him having hitters do better than I would expect or whatever 
to really believe he was a great hitting coach. So when people are kind of calling for someone's head, that seems pretty unfair to me. Yeah, I think you're right about that. It, it, and it is. It's an interesting, it's a big group, but I don't think it, it, I think that that does seem to me the way they're doing it. We also, we didn't mention Dave Hudgens, who was not the bench coach this year. He's now offensive coach. I forget what the actual title is for him, but we always kind of suspected that he was, you know, he was the Astros hitting coach and, and didn't, didn't seem, it seemed more like a hitting coach kind of guy than, than necessarily a bench coach, but you have to, uh, usually, Organizations won't give guys uh, permission to interview with another team for a lateral move. So I think the bump in pay up to uh, up to bench coach was probably would have would have you know been the, the the deciding factor there when he was pried away from the Astros after after they'd been very successful and before everybody knew <laughs> why that was. LCRFST. That is hard to say. It is hard when you guys don't put vowels in there. I'll say that. Um, two, just wanted to clarify, he wasn't calling for anyone's job. I wasn't saying that that was the nature of the comment. It's just something that I've seen on Twitter is people kind of calling for Guillermo Martinez's job. Um, that has felt unfair to me. I also have a text. I know that is not necessarily approved, but I have someone who listens to the show who texted me a question. They were unable to listen, um, today. It is, you know, it's, it's better to be here, obviously. It's better to call in because you can listen to your calls later and share them and all that jazz or comment, but we will we'll take any form of interaction. That's the whole point of this new format is to be more interactive. And the question was, at what point do the Blue Jays think about moving Santiago Espinal up in the lineup over the Matt Chapmans and the Guriels of the world considering his early season performance? We've talked talked about this a little bit. The thing that's interesting here is that what Espinal is good at from an offensive standpoint is making contact with the ball. You know, he's, he's added power, but he's still not a huge power guy. What he's good at is getting on base. And so in theory, like the best version of him is a guy that you would put at the top of a lineup. I'm not saying he's that good now, but in theory, that's what he would do. But the top of the Blue lineup is sort of spoken for. They have enough really good guys. So it's difficult for me to imagine them slotting in him in at sort of five or six or something like that because he doesn't bring that power element that they want to see from Chapman and Guriel driving in, you know, multiple guys with a single swing of the bat. To be fair, you know, if either of those guys gets really cold or really fades, I think there's definitely an argument for moving Kirker Espinal up for a second or two. They've been pretty stable at the lineup, and maybe some kind of jumbling could help a little bit. But I think that's what makes it tricky, is that Espinal, in theory, if he's doing really, really well, is more of a top-of-the-lineup guy, and they don't, they just don't have a place for him there. That, that seems pretty reasonable to me as well. I mean, he does, he does feel like a good number nine hitter kind of guy, uh, if you have everybody going well, uh, which obviously goes without saying because he's hitting the ball really well. But uh, yeah, the... the like you said earlier, you know Kirk has been encouraging of late, which is good because uh, uh, the the hundred plate appearances without an extra base uh, hit or whatever it was, however long that streak was, um, not not ideal. And obviously, you know the running is an issue with him, but uh, yeah, not great. And and Chapman, I I'd, I'd have to dig into the numbers. I think anecdotally, he hasn't looked as non competitive uh, in certain bats lately. I mean, he just missed. Uh, a home run uh, here on thir- or Thursday. What is it? No, uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday. <laughs> um, which uh, which would have been out in uh, several other ballparks. 
Um, so that was another sort of cruel twist in that game. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think at some point you can't just keep running this lineup out the way it is. I know Vladdy doesn't like hitting as soon as second, but I would very much be interested in seeing that. And but right now, but right like now that seems to be yeah. That, could that he be convinced to, be to like it? Could incentives be provided for him to like <laughs> it? Like it doesn't have to be a permanent state of dislike. I don't know. I, that always frustrated me with Jose Bautista when they would hit him third, and I, I always thought he should hit second. And I know they did move him around at times a little bit later, but um, yeah, it, it's always tough to know about deferring to the player preference and quote unquote a guy being comfortable and how much that's worth compared to how much lineup optimization is worth. And yeah, it's a tough needle to thread. And the Blue Jays hitting Guer- uh, Guerrero third as opposed to second is kind of a little annoying barb on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> I mean, it feels better now that Bichette's uh, gotten himself going, at least. Yeah. Oh, we got another comment. We got a comment from Joe who says he believes that uh, it's hitting strategist is Dave Hudgens' title. So we can go with that. Strategy hasn't been great. <laughs> Hit the ball. Don't, don't walk, apparently, has been a strategy. It's felt like it. Another comment, apologies, has, brought up, has been brought up on the runners in scoring position thing, which is everyone's favorite topic. We've heard being clutch isn't real, but is a different situation batting with runners on base, um, runners themselves, fielders, etc. Is this real for the Jays, or are we seeing bad luck? Um, I think that there, there's real elements to it. For one, I, I've always kind of been in, of the opinion that if players believe something is real, then we can't totally totally dismiss it because that affects their mindset. And so we might say, like, for instance, if a hitter comes to the plate and he's one for eight against a pitcher with seven strikeouts, he's always been brutal against him, hasn't seen him a ton of times, we might say, well, eight plate appearances is really a nothing sample. Uh, it doesn't tell us anything and we shouldn't overreact to it. But there's not an insignificant chance that in the hitter's mind, he's thinking, oh, I'm in for a bad time. Uh, and, you know, different hitters have a different mindset, and I don't want to overgeneralize. But when it's something that can play on a, the psychology of hitting, you know, I think there are probably guys who come to the plate in, right now for the Blue Jays who feel the weight of the fact they haven't been getting these big hits. And there there is a little bit of data about them swinging outside the strike zone a little bit more in those situations, which might speak to them pressing or however you want to put that. Over the long term, I think someone gets a hit, it falls in, you know, even if it isn't the best hit in the world or just a pitcher makes a terrible pitch and a guy smacks it for a grand slam and that weight just alleviates for an organic reason. And then over time, it's probably going to be fine. But I don't think we should always straight up dismiss that something, quote unquote, is nothing. It can be something in the moment, even if over the long term, there's no reason to believe it is. That seems fair to me, you know. Yeah, like gripping the bat too tight, and, and maybe that's, that's too, you know that's an obviously simple, simplified way to look at it. But maybe that's what's going on with these guys right now. Um, yeah, they. Uh, I mean, they, the, the umpires haven't been great to them this year. Uh, I will say, I don't want to make this you know a weekly uh, gripe about the umpires segment, but uh, but we could probably use one this week as well. Not necessarily as much about the. Ball and strike calls is about uh, an ejection there the other night, um, but I think that has to be taken into account too. And and and, and it, the small the sample size is very small at this point. So I, I yeah I I probably less less so than Nick. I'm, I you know would lean towards there's not a lot to it. But I think uh, yeah I think it would be silly to discount 
Um, you know, you see, you, you see all the, the, the mental health coaches and stuff that are propping, cropping up, uh, uh, throughout the league and throughout sports everywhere now, and, and you know, once once you once you see teams like start investing real dollars into stuff like that, they're, they're taking it seriously, and it's job it's their job, and, and you know, clearly there's uh, there's something to it. And they're also you know a little bit more nuts and bolts. They're guys that you want to see more or less in certain situations. You know, we've, Alejandro Kirk has been vulnerable to the double play ball this year. They're guys who strike out a ton, and so when you get that runner on third less than two outs, you worry about that guy. And there is a little bit of that in the Blue Jays lineup. Like, they don't have a ton of speed. They do have some ground ball, ground into double play threats. Um, they do have some swing and miss as well. You know, it's not a, not as much as they used to, to be fair. There's not as much sort of Randall Gritchuk in this lineup as there used to be. Um, but I don't think that there it's fair to say like this team, there's anything about the structure of this team that would lead you to believe they'd specifically be poor with runners in scoring position. And I believe last year they were above average, even beyond the degree that they were above average um, as hitters overall. Uh, I haven't checked on a while, but I think that that's true. And, you know, it's largely the same cast of guys. Yeah, it really is, and, and I feel that that's like that's a narrative about the team that maybe changed over the course of last year. You know, they came they came back to Toronto and started hitting everything, and that kind of went away. And, and that, you know, it could very, I mean, it could it could, and at some point, inevitably, will uh, flip. And it's just it will well, how the season goes basically will be determined determined by how uh, how long it takes before that happens, how long that lasts, and. Uh, you know what? Uh, how, where they fall back to once you know the uh, the real surge hap- happens and is out of the way. Um, but I think that's all you know going to happen. There is still so much season left. Yeah, the over under on that is really how long it takes them to face the Orioles. And uh, for, <laughs> for whatever reason, the scheduling powers that be have not been favorable to the Blue Jays. I think you know earlier in the season when their record was so good. And they'd played the hard schedule and they had the easy schedule coming up. Then it felt like, wow, they've really pulled one over and, you know, this is a great situation. They've basically given that back because their record now is, you know, relatively unimpressive, just above 500. And the Yankees are so, so good in terms of their win loss, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we can't really say that they've positioned themselves well now because they've thrown that out the window. But the fact remains that their schedule from here on out is uh, easier than average, which is very rare for an AL Ace team kind of at any given time. And you don't want that to be sort of the thing you rest all your hopes on because being actually good uh, is preferable to playing shitty teams, but they will be playing some shitty teams. Yeah, you'd like to see the run differential start moving in the right direction too, all that all that good stuff. But yeah, no, I don't think you want to use that as a crutch, but it uh, it can be nice. But it also, you know, you can't you can beat yourself by taking components too lightly as well. Um, so we'll see. And also Baltimore's got that, uh, move that wall back. That stadium is uh, playing a little Man, bit different. What a, what a mistake. That's <laughs> like, it's such a, like Camden Yards got so many points for being this beautiful stadium and kind of the template by which modern ballparks were made with that throwback element and that charm that, you know, hockey arenas and basketball courts and even NFL stadiums don't really have and like this is the great thing about baseball I don't know I could go too far down this rabbit hole but basically you know Camden Yards was 
was such a big deal. And it's been a great park that's housed a pretty bad team for quite a while now. And now they're messing with the great park aspect and they're, they're actually taking away a bunch of home runs. So making the games on the field a little less exciting and just the aesthetics of the ballpark. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm out on an Island here. I don't think I am based on what I've seen on Twitter, but the way they've altered that wall just makes it look significantly worse. Yeah. I don't, I can't say, I can't say I care for it, frankly. Um, yeah. Uh, silly thing to do, but uh, when you're, when you're trying to manufacture some good news for a pitching staff that just looks like the Baltimore Orioles pitching staff, uh, that's going to be a problem. We've got another comment here from Warren who asks how many uh, wins the Jays are going to get in the upcoming Reds series. Um, great question. Could, could, be, could be several. I mean, we'll all win if Joey Votto actually makes the trip, um, which could be his last chance to play in Toronto. Um, well, that never seemed to be worth that much to him. I, I, no, I don't think so. And it's and, and it's looking like he may not be, him and Sanzel may not be on the uh, the road trip at all, which I think would be a shame for a lot of Canadian baseball fans. But but to Joey personally, it it may not matter much. No, probably not. And uh, yeah, we're probably gonna sh- you know we'll be shifting our Canadian baseball hopes to the Josh Naylors and the uh, Cal Quantrills of the world, I suppose. Votto has looked pretty washed early on. Hasn't been it hasn't been ideal. It hasn't been ideal. All right, why don't we leave it at that? You know, we had some grim Blue Jay stuff, and then we can leave <laughs> it at some grim Canadian baseball stuff. And I swear, you know, next time we get on the mic, I mean, I can't swear that they'll win because that's a stupid thing for me to claim. But you know, I I'd like to believe that in the near future we're gonna have a Blue Jays happy hour where we come on after an uplifting win for the Blue Jays, uh, and there's just it's just buzzing in here. That's what I'd like to believe. That would be real nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would. I would enjoy that quite, uh, quite a lot. Um, and well, there's a chance for it on Sunday, but that's at the conclusion of a series at the Trop. So, <laughs> uh, fingers crossed, I guess. All right. Thanks everyone for coming in who listened live. Everyone who listens afterwards, wherever you're finding us. We've got that new RS feed. I think it's out in the world. Uh, we appreciate guys subscribing reviews, ratings, all that stuff that lets the various algorithms that I have no idea how they work churn and do what they do and uh, get people listening to this podcast and enjoying Blue Jays baseball with us, even if at times it might not feel that enjoyable. All right. Well said. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you on Sunday after the game.